Welcome to the David George podcast. Now, who is David George, I hear you asking? Well, Dr. David George, to give him his full title, is a man who started as one of the pioneers in the AI space back in the early 1990s, and is the creator of Choice Master, a shopping recommender that uses AI to help consumers make more informed decisions when searching for that new item. Today, we take a look at ChatGTP, a generative artificial intelligence technology that has the potential to disrupt a number of industries from writing to the way we do our jobs. David has worked in this AI world for a number of years and knows quite a bit about this. So uh, my first question to you is, what is ChatGTP in layman's terms? And what does GTP stand for? Well, um, (laughs) GTP stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer which is um, an, interesting, an interesting set of words used to describe the underlying technology that's actually used in, to support chat GDP. And what does it do in layman's terms? In layman's terms, it's actually very simple. It, it works out what word should follow previous words in any text fragment. Okay, and, and how does it do that? Where does it get that information from? Well, it's been trained on half the internet, <laughs> If you like, anything that's been published on the internet, um, anything that's been published in books that has been recorded on the internet, it's actually been, been trained on working out if, if I've got this sequence of words, then statistically, what's the probability of the following word being this one or this one or this one or this one? And then it just iterates around that in a recursive in a recursive manner so that it's now generated a, a longer set of words making up a sentence or a paragraph and it's constantly reviewing that and adding um, new words to it so it's it's a, a text input and a text output um, technology so how would we use it in a real life situation? Chat GTP obviously is something that everybody's talking about at the moment, but how would we use it in a real life situation? Well, I think there are a number of, of what they call use cases uh, for it. And people that, that currently, for example, you know, specialise in, in, in writing, uh, writing articles for blog posts, um, for example, you can feed Um, chat uh, GTP with what they call a prompt that says something like, you know, oh, write me a blog post on uh, this particular subject for a target audience of teenagers. (laughs) And it will work out what you meant by that. And it will generate a blog post for you on that particular subject area. Again, I'm talking from a layman's terms here how does it do that where that information um how does it know it's making sense when it when it does that because obviously there isn't a human element to this it's purely a a a computer software and algorithms that do this how does it know it's making sense well it doesn't know anything itself but what's quite remarkable in fact extraordinary about chat chat gtp is how human-like the output actually is. I personally don't understand all of the nitty-gritty detail of how their neural networks are actually operating um, and generating that output because it's obviously a, a, a trade secret that held by OpenAI, which is the business that the company that um, that built the technology. 
but it it's it's got this uncanny ability to actually uh, to actually contextualize the output so it's managing to keep the context so you know if it's if it's actually talking about what was a tv program what was the main content of a tv program it's not going to confuse that with you know with what the content of a post about um, electric vehicles <laughs> is so um it's able to maintain um the contextual nature of its of it of its output. Uh, personally, I don't know how that's actually being, yeah, so that, that's being all, achieved in detail. That's all part of what their you know the, the software and and the well, that, that's their whole uh, intellectual property. The concept of of using um, pre-trained uh, transformers has been around for quite a long time, as as with many of the other AI technologies. But um, significant improvements have obviously been made. And why do you think it's such a hot topic at the moment? What What's changed in the last couple of months to make it the thing that everybody's talking about? Well, n- natural language uh, processing has, has been a hot topic in AI for many, 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 many years. And um, the, the GPT technology and the underlying techniques that's, that support it are a giant leap forward um, compared to what we had a couple of years ago. And it's going to be um, not... To use uh, to no pun intended, but it's going to be transformative in the way in which it gets applied in various um, in various um, job functions. So, looking at ChatGTP, I think we're on to version four now, aren't we? Isn't that the latest one? Yeah, GTP four has, has just been announced this past week. Okay, how long has it all been in development? When did they start developing their ChatGTP software? Well, as I mentioned. Um, uh, natural language processing has been a hot AI topic for many, many years. But OpenAI, as a as a as a business, was founded in in 2015 by a number of um, significant players in the AI space and in the in the tech space generally. And prior to that, um, these individuals had already been working on on the ideas. But um, it's sort of been around as GTP. One GTP two GTP three since around about twenty fifteen. Where do you see the advantages of this? What where what's the strong side of Chat GTP? Where is it going to change our lives, and what are the applications that it could be used for, which will make a big difference to us? Well, it's going to be very disruptive in in terms of many many professions, especially now with the latest um, Chat. GTP4, which is multimodal, um, and that's a, a just a term that it's not only now capable of analysing text as input and generating text as output, it can now take images as input and generate images as output. So, um, so that will just give it, um, you know, makes it that much more more powerful. I mean, you can imagine. A situation, an example of where it of where it's going to be disruptive, is on the job professions now that you know where people's writing skills are in high demand, for creating marketing copy, for example, for doing copywriting, for even writing a computer program code, for designing websites, <laughs> for you know, and now um, for um, analysing um, legal documents, you know, legal terms and 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 conditions and then you then being able to query in in an interactive uh, conversation being able to ask it questions how is this going to affect me for example 
what's my tax liability for this last financial year based on uh, on input in the form of a spreadsheet. But it's not a thinking machine. It cannot think for itself, can it? It only operates on the text that is available to it and the input that is available to it. It's only... it's. It can only operate on the input that that it's given and, and been trained on. One of the important things to actually understand right now is that uh, ChatGTP only knows about the world, <laughs> if you like, um, up until September 2021. So anything that happened after September 2021, it doesn't know anything about. So we can't ask it yesterday to give us an interpretation of the newspaper headlines from yesterday <laughs> because it actually hasn't been trained on them. However, there are ways in which you can input in real time when you're having a interaction with, with, with ChatGTP. You can, in fact, extend your prompt to include, by that I mean you can extend your question or your instruction for it to do something with up-to-date information in a limited fashion. Does it have any kind of emotional or reasoning power? I don't think I don't believe it's got any emotional capabilities. However, it is capable of doing what we call um, um, sentiment polarity. It can actually analyse text and tell you whether it's positive or negative, or whether the major emotion embedded within that text is one of joy or one of sadness or one of anger or one of happiness. Um, that can be done, but it itself doesn't actually know what the meaning of all of those words means in in our real life in our real lives um re, as for reasoning um it depends on what you on what we how we would want to define reasoning there well is, I, I was thinking of making a decision make, making a decision it can only make that decision on the text that is or the information that is available to it well it has a it, it has what i would call from a simplistic in a simplistic way a rule-based reasoning capability built into it now. I mean, the ability to, for example, input a tax code in, in text format into the, into the system, which is really all the rules and regulations about who should pay tax and how much tax they should be paying depending on these particular circumstances, uh, and then give you an accurate answer as output, that's definitely a form of reasoning. Um, that's, that's but surely that's just making a decision based on the information that it's given. It's not actually deciding on any kind of, uh, I, all I can say is human level about that. It's purely a, cal a mathematical calculation on the information that is put in. Well, it will be uh, doing a little bit of mathematical calculations and it will be reasoning about about those. But what it's not what it's not going to do is invent a new tax code. That, that will increase increase the government's revenue by, by a few billion a year. So it can't do that. The other so yes, you're quite correct. It can only operate on what it's been trained to do. And on that, the information that is, that is gleaned from the internet, for example, there's no way it can differentiate between what is good or bad information, what is truth and what is lies. Uh, no, it can't. In its, it can't itself. However, one of the major inputs into ChatGTP has been human input into it. So when it's going through its training process, uh, which of course is largely um, fully fully automated, there will be points in that process where output gets generated, and a human will evaluate that and actually say yes, this is correct, or no, it's not correct. So there are methods that have been that are being applied 
um, so that it can learn itself to differentiate between something that's um, good or bad. On that subject, I'm now going to read out something that you sent to me. You put the question into ChatGTP. What role did Mark Wakeley have in the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank? Now, this is what ChatGTP came up with. Mark Wakeley was Silicon Valley Bank's chief financial officer in 1997 to 2003. I'd like to point out the bank didn't exist then and I was at university in East London and was responsible for managing the bank's financial operations and investment. Wakeley was part of the bank's executive team that made decisions that contributed to the bank's collapse in 2022. Again, the bank didn't exist then. These decisions included investing in risky technology companies, overextending credit to customers, and allowing the bank's risk management system to become lax. Now, the interesting thing about this is it's full of inaccuracies and downright lies, basically. The information that that, uh, that uh, David put into uh, ChatGTP was purely what was my role in the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, and that's the answer it came up with. Now, I find that a little bit concerning, and I was going to ask you, what are the drawbacks? I think that probably explains what the drawbacks are. Well, that, that's exactly right, Mark, which is why I actually put it in. I did I did borrow that that question from from something that was in the public domain um, just to to give you something to think about <laughs> and uh, and 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 the biggest drawback with chat GTP and the underlying technology that that supports it whilst there are many good things there are also many 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 bad things and this concept of hallucination is is one of them and we've just seen a perfect example of it where it doesn't actually know what the ground truths really are in all cases and so it will in an attempt to provide an answer to the question or the prompt that you've given it it will actually do its best to be helpful but unfortunately it's unreliable I'll be honest with you, that uh, that paragraph there couldn't be less helpful if it tried. <laughs> um, no, it's helpful in terms of being able to generate some natural language output that you can read. <laughs> well, that that's it. it. It's all about reading coherent or generating coherent sentences. It doesn't seem to really care what the contents of those sentences is. Certainly in this situation, like I said, in 1997, I was at university. The bank didn't even exist then. It's also said that um, I was... Um, financial director up until 2003 but it said the bank collapsed in 2002 yeah. so these are really glaring problems and glaring issues that chat gtp has come along with yes. and by a cursory reading of that paragraph virtually none of it is correct i think they got my name spelling right and that's about it really well i got your name spelling right but well, <laughs> exactly yeah. and that was the because david put the information in there yeah. so you know the next question I wanted to ask you was, what are the ethical issues and potential problems? And I think we've just seen, but can you expand on that as well? Well, I, I just want to go back a step before we go move on to that, because I think this is quite important, because it does highlight one of the important things about the technology. And it's, it's, it's really to do with, with as, as two humans communicate with each other, if, if I'm not using language that you understand and I ask you a question, you're not going to give me an answer that I'm sort of expecting. And it's exactly the same 
uh, exactly the same implications with with trying to communicate with uh, with an AI in the form of of, of ChatGTP. That's why this concept of inputting the prompt, which is actually going to generate a new job called called a called a prompt engineer, <laughs> to actually input the questions or the or or, or the input in, or input the information in a way that ChatGTP will fully will fully understand it. Now, to give you the example of that, I'd like to go back to the other question I asked ChatGTP, which was a slight which was a slightly different prompt. Over to you, Mark. <laughs> right. Well, the different prompt was: What role did Mark Wakeley, who lives in Telford, have in the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank? Now, basically, then, it just says Mark Wakeley did not have any role in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, totally contradicting itself. He's an entrepreneur from Telford, England, and is not connected to the Silicon, Silicon Valley Bank or its collapse in any way. So there you go. So now, because of the, because of the addition of a couple of extra words in the context of the input, you get a more honest and truthful and valid output. And there it is. Uh, as you say, it, it's about the language you used to put in. Now, prompt engineers you were talking about, or prompt... Yeah, prompt engineering. Yeah, is. so th that's what they would do. They would make sure you're asking the correct question with the correct information. Well, the job doesn't actually exist formally yet because it's uh, because we're only now shall starting... We shall we copyright that? Yeah, so, no, no, that term is, is, that term is in the public we're too domain. Late, <laughs> Somebody already has invented that term, but the... But the job itself doesn't exist yet because, well, we're still trying to learn. We're still all learning, um, apart from the people that designed um, the, all of the underlying architectures and software. Uh, we're still, as users of the of this technology, we're still learning about about how can we use it effectively. Um, and it, it's started to become apparent that um, the, there are similarities in the way in which we would communicate with a product like ChatGTP and the way in which we converse with, with, with another human being. We've got to make sure that we're, we're, we're using the right terminology and the right words and we maintain the same context in our communication. So looking at the ethical issues, now you sent me some information before we started talking about this. And one of the things I found quite disturbing was that Microsoft have got rid of their ethics advisors on, uh, on AI, which is a bit, of a bit of a worry for me. Well, it's a bit of a worry for many people. I mean, it, it wasn't just Microsoft. A lot of the big tech companies have toned down their ethics people um, and, and don't particularly want them to contradict what the what the tech companies themselves are trying to actually promote. So yes, that is a that is a big concern. It's it's been noticed at very high levels around the world in government, particularly. A concern that that is impacting me quite quite significantly is that uh, we know what problems the social media companies are are actually having right now in trying to in trying to stop the spread of disinformation in one form or another and the stop of what of what we're calling um, hate speech now it's what's what's really interesting of course is is that it's these same companies that are investing in this type of technology now if they can't self-regulate themselves on social media which has been going for a heck of a long time now um, how are they going to actually self-regulate them themselves in this emerging technology which has got the potential to be far more dangerous because the disinformation and the and the hate speech, for example, can now be automated at the push of a button. Should we be concerned? 
we should definitely be concerned. That's interesting. What's our government's doing about this? What's their, uh, I think you, you described it as legal, legal guardrails. Yes. What, what's their view of this and can they control it? Are they able to legislate for it? They can. They do definitely have the ability to do it. But if we just look at what the current situation is with social media and disinformation that's going around on, on some of the social media platforms, there's a lot of talk about, oh, yes, we need to do this and we need to do that. But it's actually taking an awful lot of time to, to build the regulation for it. Personally, I don't know, I don't understand how the process, you know, why it's taking so long, but I, and I don't understand the process that needs to be gone through before a final decision can can be made on how the regulation needs to be needs to be enforced. Um, there certainly are regulations. The EU, for example, is doing quite a lot, and the United States government started to do uh, quite a lot. And I've got no doubt there are things going on with the UK government. The, the biggest problem, of course, right now is is it's how do you actually determine whether something is legally hate speech or whether it is legally disinformation? Who do you get to actually do all of that analysis? It's an enormous problem. And who can you sue, basically? So, for example, say that the example we gave earlier on of, of my role in the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, if that was published, who do I sue? Well, that's interesting. That's a very interesting question, and it's something that the EU, currently in the EU, they're struggling over making that, that decision. Is it the person that designed the algorithms or the company, that, not the person, the individuals, because, I mean, it's not just one person that works on, on, on massive software um, technologies like this, but is it the company that developed the technology that's actually legally going to be held re responsible? Um, or is it the AI itself? And then how do you punish an AI itself? You know, so uh, the current thinking is is that it will be the the it will be the entity that designed the algorithms that um, that will be held that will be held liable. See, the way I see it is that you would take legal action against the publisher of the piece because they've not checked the source properly, hmm. uh, which is which is currently the way it seems to work. And at the moment, I think that's it it's then surely up to the publisher to check the source and make sure the source is correct. Yeah, but there are rules and regulations over libel and slander and there are and, and the newspapers are, are, are regulated over what they can and, and cannot say. The social media companies, as they currently exist, are not classified as publishers, so the law doesn't actually uh, apply to them. So new legislation is actually required. And they fight like mad to stop them from being classed as publishers so that the laws don't apply to them in that respect. I was going to talk about company responsibility and obviously there is a responsibility of publishers and we all know how it works with social media is they seem to seem to allegedly abdicate responsibility uh, for the content on their, on their sites. I think to be fair, Mark, they, a lot of effort, um, even though we do, we do hear negative aspects of the AI ethics teams being disbanded and people being fired for, you know, for wanting to voice their their personal opinions um, that contradict what the company policy is. To be fair, there are definitely um, there is definitely a lot of effort going into trying to, specifically in the hate speech um, area, possibly not so much in the disin in the disinformation um, area at this point in time because it's just so hard to do. 
on that, by the way, I'm not going to sue you for the piece that you wrote earlier on. <laughs> well, it's only I only gave it to you, so it hasn't been published. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you've now published I've it. I've now read it out. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, but it's about me, so that's okay. Yeah. On that, again, what is AI and what is written by people? Is there a way or should there be some sort of watermark or something on chat GTP articles so we know that's where it comes from? Yes. Well, first of all, um, ChatGTP is an instance of, of of there are other there are other products that do similar things to ChatGTP. It's just that ChatGTP seems to be um, the most the most powerful and the, and uh, the most articulate at this at this point in time. But should that content be watermarked so that we know well, that it's been generated by um, uh, an artificial? Yes. Yeah, I do believe personally. I believe it should. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole IT sector mini industry um, starting up right now, people writing software to try to work out whether a piece of text that's been generated has in fact been written by a human or whether it has in fact been automatically generated by, by a piece of AI software. And that industry is, is, is exploding, um, you know, as more and more um, AI-based um, text generation and other outputs, not just text, but images, voice, for example, you can, I mean, there's, there's just so many options now. It's how do we know what, what was generated by humans and how do we, and how do we know what was generated by, by machines? So, yes, yeah, some form of fingerprinting or, or, or watermarking um, ideally would be needed. And I do believe there are efforts right now to achieve that. Well, in the same way that um, university and school uh, all exam things are put through a software that will tell you if it's plagiarised or so on and so forth. And I know that um, certainly a friend of mine who works at a university, I won't say who or where, but he put a question into uh, ChatGTP and the essay that came out, he said he would have given it about 55%, which is at least a 2-2 two -two yeah. in academic standard at, at degree level. Well, in the, in, in the States, I mean, chat GTP answers to, to coursework to, to obtain um, legal qualifications are actually outperforming humans at this point in time. You know, and that's one of the reasons why so many professions... And so many in the education sector. I mean, a lot of the education sector is based on coursework. If you can just press a button to generate your, your essay as part of your coursework, you, you know, you're not necessarily demonstrating how capable you are. You're demonstrating how you know how to use software, which... Although, in, in a way, that's not a new thing. Allegedly, there are people out there who are paid to write essays for people. Yes, but they're still humans writing the essays. Now they're going to be paying people to use ChatGTP to write the essays for them. So, yes. What I'm saying is that it's out there already yes. and this is just a technological way but of doing it. But it's it. just now, because it's now 100% automatable, <laughs> there's just going to be more and more and more and more and more of it. I mean, and there are examples where some sort of audit, I mean, if you take uh, some problem-solving websites, um, especially in the IT sector, they are, if they detect that something has been generated just by using human um, um, observational powers, <laughs> if they detect something has been generated by, by ChatGTP, for example, then, then they will ban the publication of it. Moving on to my final point, really, and something that a lot of people probably haven't even thought about when it comes to something like this, is the environmental impact of, of chat GTP and similar 
software systems that use a massive amount of data power. Now, I, I, I did see an article about Ireland that by the end of the decade, if things continue the way it goes, that 40% of their power generation will be used for data farms. It is a huge resource heavy thing with water and electricity, uh, which obviously has got to be generated. What What is the impact of this? It, it, it seems to me like environmentally, it could be quite a big impact that people don't even think about. Well, it's starting to become a bit of an issue because you're quite right, you know, and there have been, not just in, in Ireland, there have been articles published recently, uh, and I think an investigation was done by the BBC quite recently, um, where, where a whole housing development of low-cost housing was actually shelved because there wasn't enough power to provide to the homes because all of that power was being used by a giant server farm that had been established in Ireland. Um, and, of course, you know, the Irish... The Irish government wants to attract business, and that made some business sense. So they made a they made a trade off in that respect. But in California, for example, a bigger issue is these huge server farms, and and they're just enormous. I mean, it's quite interesting. I saw a statistic from one of the research labs that basically said that if they tried to train GTP again on all of the data that it ingested in its initial training up to September 2021, if they tried to do that on one desktop-sized sort of server, it would take 370 years to train it. So you can imagine the number of servers that have to be operating in, in, in parallel to provide the supercomputing capabilities. Now, these are all water-cooled pieces of hardware and um, in California there's now a major major problem because um, they don't have enough water to actually uh, to provide to be able to cool these uh, computers so so there are serious um, environmental um, issues associated with them yes and personally uh, that salute that problem is not going to be solved in the, in the very near future Right then, on that note about the environment, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, thank you very much, David, for uh, joining me and having a chat about Chat GTP. My pleasure. Still going through the learning curve uh, myself with it. Um, there aren't that many people around, not even the people that wrote it in initially, those clever guys, you know, that really understand exactly how it's working in real time. And that's just one of the interesting aspects of using a technology like neural networks. It's a huge black box and uh, and uh, you know not uh, not easy to actually uh, uh, predict exactly what it's going to do <laughs> well i think it's a subject we're probably going to be returning to in, in the not too distant future when more information comes out and we know more about it so thanks very much thanks very much for listening to uh, to david's podcast david the david george podcast ai what's that all about uh, if you want to get in contact with david ask him personally some questions then david at choicemaster.org is his email address if you want to listen to the previous episode it's available on all major platforms uh, it's also available at uh, 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen uh, my name's mark wakeley and uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks time with another david george podcast so thanks very much see you then Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you found it informative or just enjoyed listening to David, then why not like, follow, subscribe, or give us a review? If you want to know more about Choice Master and David's work, then why not drop him an email at david at choicemaster.org.
We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more chat from David. And if you don't want to miss an episode, then don't forget to subscribe or follow. Until then, stay safe. And remember, it pays to be informed. This is a 1386 audio production.